So now you're tweeting on your left hand. Now you've got a different cell phone, maybe your work cell phone in your right hand. You're trying to live stream to Facebook for that. And then when you're done tweeting with your left hand, you're now going back to the camera and pushing start and stop so that you can get cutaways because you're not just posting on digital. You still need to get content on your camera and videotaped to the disc so that you can actually bring it back to the station and have something to edit. I mean, oftentimes you're doing two, if not three jobs with literally just one person. You're now listening to The Stream, an Allison Partners podcast. Hello, and welcome to the inaugural edition of The Stream podcast by Allison and Partners. I'm Owen Clark, joining us in the San Francisco studio. He's live, he's local, he's late breaking. He's Mike Cavara. Good to be here. Mike, as you could probably tell from that introduction today, we're going to talk a little about the state of the media. But bigger picture, what we want to do with this podcast is really unpack some of the big storylines that make up our world today. Who are the characters involved? What are the plot points? And what are some of the things that no one is really talking about that maybe they should? And the first story we're going to focus on is the life, the times, and, and the death, potentially, of mainstream media. And in terms of who we can blame for that, um, I'm looking right at you because you're a millennial. <laughs> Just passing the blame of the millennials, I know. We've killed everything from the use of napkins to local news media. Um, but Owen, you were a former reporter, right? This is true. So to you, what does the death of the media mean? Because that's kind of ridiculous to me. Well, I think what one of the most interesting things about the debate you see right now happening about this is everybody wants to put it in the, the broadest strokes possible, right? It's MSNBC versus Fox News. It's Trump versus CNN or, or the whole media in general. And lost amid the shuffle there is just the hundreds if not thousands of people who are just reporters. It's a profession. Every day on the ground, these people are trying to do their jobs, but they get lumped together into these really broad trends. It's a good point. You know, I really never thought of uh, all these monoliths of having faces behind them. Speaking of faces, we're going to talk to a couple former reporters and someone with insight into the future of reporting later in this episode. Um, so that's one of the things we really want to do on these on these podcasts is get a chance to talk to people who understand how the sausage is made, so to speak, and give us perspective from inside as to what's really happening. AKA, we get to listen and complain for a while. That is an important <laughs> part of being a journalist, but as we will understand, complaining, there's lots of good reasons to be complaining and a little reasons for a little bit of hope. So it's not all depressing, but hopefully you will leave feeling a little bit more educated and informed. I hear that. All right, thanks for uh, staying with us. Was there a moment when you knew you wanted to stop being a full-time journalist? Do you remember, was, that, was there a specific moment where this epiphany occurred to you? There, there were several, frankly. This is Jacques Coure. He's our editorial director at Allison & Partners, but before he joined us, he spent 20 years as a print reporter in and around Atlanta, meaning he had a first-hand look at what it meant to transition from print journalism to purely online. You know, towards the end of my career in journalism, I grew um, increasingly frustrated with um, being primarily online because I could spend hours after hours of doing extensive research, say, into like SEC documents about a publicly traded company, write a really good, uh, you know, hard news story about like you know insider trading or something off in their financials, and no one would click it. But you know, uh, Chick Fil A has a, a free milkshake giveaway and I post that up there with a slideshow of a bunch of Chick-fil-A food and it gets clicked off the charts and it just kind of got depressing to think that no matter what we did content wise no matter how hard the work was it was sort of the lowest common denominator 
that was starting to get all the hits. And that's what the audience wants. It's the internet, you know, make it fun, fast, easy. I guess a skeptic might say sort of sensationalist journalism wasn't invented in the age of the internet, right? It's been going on forever oh, to a certain not. degree. But you yeah. felt like that got worse steadily as your career went on? Yeah, I mean, there's always sensational. I mean, look, the 24-hour news cycle that CNN sort of pioneered in the 80s, you know, kind of brought a little bit of back to, I think, to the forefront. And newspapers have to compete. Radio has to compete. And, you know, like we always said in journalism, if it bleeds, it leads. The sensational stuff's going to get the attention. I just think that on the internet side, it's so pervasive. It's not only a 24, I mean, it's a 24-hour news cycle, seven days a week, 365 days a year, instantaneously. And that's the difference. And so to compete in um, online and, and social media, sensationalism wins most often i mean think about what you click when you're reading your facebook news feed or twitter it's only hard news shock it's only serious serious hard news on my (laughs) facebook feed no but it's a it's a really good point so talk about what the mechanics are for someone in your job day to day are you posting that story and then you're literally sitting there looking at the likes or you're tracking a dashboard what are journalists and editors sort of monitoring to see their work and the feedback yeah, it was pretty interesting. You know, my last position was senior online editor for Atlanta Business Chronicle. So basically, I ran their website. I had three monitors, and one of them would be on social media with, uh, you know, like Outlook with three tabs, so I could look at Facebook, Twitter, and um, LinkedIn for the Business Chronicle all at the same time, and fl- by flipping through the tabs. And then my third monitor was uh, basically a measuring system. I could in real time see which stories were getting the most uh, hits. I'm looking to see reaction. I want to see how the audience reacts. If I see like a little spike, you know, because I could look in terms of numbers and also in graphic, you know, like sine wave, I could see what it was doing. So visually, I could just kind of quick look at the screen. If it was getting the sort of traffic I like, I knew that, hey, this needs to be bumped up to the, you know, the most visible portion of our website or likewise if something was falling flat, move it out of the way. The reporters, meanwhile, are hoping to get the, the hits as well. I mean, they would come to me, you know, several times throughout the day after posting what they think is a you know huge breaking news story. And how's it doing? You know, how's it looking? How many clicks we're getting? What are the hits like? And there just must be a human aspect to that, right? To go back to the analogy you shared earlier, where you spend yeah. this week deep diving into this SEC filing, and then you put it out there, and again, there's not the reaction you were hoping for, and then you yeah. do the Chick Fil A story, and the likes keep popping up. It must make you think. <laughs> Why did I spend all this time on this other thing that that no one's reading? Like, I mean, it just oh, as absolutely. a human, what are you supposed to do in that scenario? It's disheartening. I'm old fashioned. I mean, I honestly got into journalism for two reasons, and it's the traditional reasons. One, I really enjoy writing. Two, I wanted to record history as as it was happening, and I wanted to do it in a truthful, objective way. But it changed. And it was really disheartening because here again, like you said, you're you're busting your behind to dig deep into the story and you know find the stuff that nobody else could possibly find, and it's important, and you know it is, and it lands with a thud. It's it's depressing. Why did I study this craft? Why did I hone my skill to learn how to read SEC filings? Right? Why did I learn how to become a better interviewer to ask the tough questions if I can just post a picture of a Chick Fil A you know chicken sandwich and get more hits? It became to me like. Uh, you know, what was once a noble profession didn't seem so noble anymore, frankly. And there's no way to really trace, you know, chicken or egg in this, but it does feel like a lot of people think that journalists are inherently biased or that that outlets that are skewed one way or another did that sort of out of like a calculated malicious intent, when in many cases, essentially what it seems like we're saying is it's reactionary to what's working. If you start taking a hard political stand one way and you see the numbers track up in one direction... You're inclined to follow that. It's just, I think, in sort of human nature, much less business sense um, for brands yeah, to react true, to what their audience wants. 
think about what a difficult position that it is then, therefore, for a, a, a contemporary journalist. You know, you've got – if you want to preserve your job and stay in this field, you've got to make sure you're getting the click. So you have to appeal to what the audience wants and what your editor says, right? But what if that – what you're doing isn't actually the objective truth, which is what you want to do because you believe in the value of journalism as the fourth estate? What do you do? Preserve your job or preserve your principle? That's what it feels like. So those are some tough questions, especially for someone like Jacques who was in the industry this long and has seen this sea change to focus on digital. But what about the millennial reporter, someone who grew up in the age of the internet and is, is used to all these media consumption habits? Is, are these changes easier for them? For that perspective, we talked to Sierra Oshran. So I started my career at the CBS affiliate in Boise, Idaho, which is market 110 out of 210 different markets. So, side note, the U.S. is broken up into 210 regional TV markets based on the size of the population. So New York, sitting at number one, will have the largest budget. But when you go down to a smaller market like Boise, their reporters will have to do a lot more with a lot less. Say you get out to, um, let's say, a breaking news event. You had a, a train derailment or something, something where you show up on the scene. Walk me through sort of the process of how you would cover that. <laughs> so, um, I now the model is, uh, for broadcast news is they're really hiring and focusing on hiring multimedia journalists. Now, multimedia journalists are an MMJ, typically writes, shoots, and edits all of their own content. So you're literally doing twice the amount of work with half the amount of resources. You no longer have a photographer. And so not only are you you're taking out your 70 pounds worth of equipment, you know, you've got the backpack on your back that helps you go live. You've got your huge camera and tripod, and you're trying to shoot everything on your own, too. But now, in your left hand, you need to be tweeting updates at all times because you're a digital-first newsroom. And if you're not breaking the news over Twitter first, then you're last. So now you're tweeting on your left hand. Now you've got a different cell phone, maybe your work cell phone in your right hand. You're trying to live stream to Facebook for that. And then when you're done tweeting with your left hand, you're now going back to the camera and pushing start and stop so that you can get cutaways because you're not just posting on digital. You still need to get content on your camera and videotaped to the disc so that you can actually bring it back to the station and have something to edit. So you as the reporter is responsible not only for getting the news that we would all consume normally on the 5 o'clock or the 6 o'clock newscast, but also producing your own content for social channels? Oh, absolutely. And you're not only doing it for the station channels. They really are pushing that you have your own following and your own pages on Facebook and Twitter. So not only am I posting now on Sierra KBOI, I'm posting on our station's website. I'm you know, doing Facebook Lives from the website, from the KBOI Facebook page, uh, posting from my own personal Twitter. So you're switching between accounts, but they really, really want you to cultivate your own following uh, because it kind of makes it seem more personal. It's interesting because certainly when I was a reporter eons ago, and lots of reporters you talk to, they really prize their sort of objectivity, right? That they're behind the story. Even when you're a television reporter and maybe you're sort of fronting the news, you don't, it's not a first person endeavor, but when it's on your own social channel, your personal social channel, I guess, how do you keep yourself out of that? It's pretty difficult. I mean, I think, you know, that's obviously why news directors are in place and you've got, you know, your executive producers and they go through everything, um, all of the content that you're providing for broadcast and it's definitely anything that you're going to be hosting to the web, like on the actual station's website, they're going to make sure that they're, it's very objective. But you are very much encouraged to be posting any of your personal, like, 
you know, elements of your personal life onto these uh, professional pages as well. So they want you to post, you know, pictures of your family or, you know, maybe your dog or trips that you're going on, um, you know, behind the scenes, you know, this is a story that I'm working on today. I'm hanging out with a ton of kids. This is fun. So you, you're encouraged to post multiple times a day. So if you're working on just one story, uh, you've really got to kind of put yourself into the story. Yeah. And so, and you mentioned this was more than in some ways encouraged, right? You you were actually scored or measured against the success of your, at least certainly your new stories on, on the social platforms, right? How much people engage with them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't just me or just my station by any means. Uh, you know, I think industry-wide reporters and anchors are very, very, very encouraged to cultivate a following. And every week you have social media audits. So it tells you if you've lost followers or if you've gained followers, what your most shared story was. And then you kind of go back and you dissect why it was perhaps the most shared story, what you could have done better. Uh, and, you know, it, like I said, it is industry-wide because constantly reporters and anchors are unable to really hit their numbers. And so you'll see on, you know, certain social media pages that they are really pushing you know, other people in the industry, hey, please like my, please like my page or uh, please follow me on Twitter because I'm hitting the end of the month and I still haven't hit my numbers. So, you know, they're really trying to figure out any way that they possibly can to get those numbers up. So did you feel pressured in terms of, we talk about sensational news a little bit or things that are going to be more clickbaity or headline focused. Did you feel like they're, you know, you're like, man, I see every time I do a story on this topic, I get more likes, so I'm more inclined to do that next time. I mean, do they impact the way you covered things? Yes, 100%. And, you know, I think the thing is, too, what you'll see a lot is that stations will be sharing content from other stations. And it's because the story did really well. You know, the story did so well, in fact, at that specific station that it's now available for cross-posting. So now you can post it now to your Facebook, but and you're getting a lot of engagement, but it's not content that's even really relevant to your viewers. And then a lot of the viewers will get really upset, too, because they'll see that this is, you know, it'll say, uh, train crash killed three. And so they'll click on it, thinking that it's, you know, from their location or in their market, and it's not. I'll give you one more example. So I covered a lot of STEM stories. Uh, STEM is in K-12 through education. So there's very much a need for it. If you talk to any government or industry leaders, I mean, we really need to push for K through 12 education to have these computer science programs or really be, you know, science, tech, and engineering and math related because right now we need to fill that skills gap. But the thing is, is I, you know, I was kind of the STEM reporter for those, but those stories don't get much engagement. And it's really unfortunate. I would go to the schools. I would go to these robotics competitions. I'm trying to create as much great content as I possibly could. I'm, I'm featuring students. I'm you know, I'm trying to make it as visual as I can, strapping GoPros to the robots and stuff. You think it's great content, and it, it definitely is needed, but for some reason, these stories just did not get any clicks. And it was, it's really hard because you invest so much time in something that you think is truly important, and then you post the story to the website, and it's just, it's not, it doesn't seem to be as important to the viewers. When did you know you wanted to stop being a full-time journalist? That's the way to say this. Um, I, I love jur journalism, and like I said, all I've ever wanted to be is a journalist. I just didn't even think there was another path for me. But I realized that in order to move up, you need to move away, and that was really difficult for me uh, because you are having to move every couple of years. So especially in these local, small local markets, you're going to see the reporters literally switching out every two to three years. It's a completely different newscast than it was three years ago in, in Boise at my station. But I also realized that um, ultimately I just didn't really like where the industry was going because you are constantly having to do a lot more for 
with a lot less resources. And you're kind of punished because the more that you do, people think that you're actually capable of doing that and that you're able to get stuff on air and you're able to meet all of your deadlines. I think I only ever missed one deadline in my two years, but now I'm having to do two or three stories a day because now people are able to see that I'm, I'm quick at what I'm doing. And so, you know, constantly quality is sacrificed for quantity. And so I just, and I think that that's the way that it's um, really going to continue down the future because this multimedia journalist model is not going anywhere. So, Micah, are you depressed enough yet about the future of journalism here? Not adequately. Is there is there more? Well, maybe. So we've heard a lot from sort of former reporters who want to talk about where the future is going. And for that, we decided we get the perspective of someone who's on the ground teaching future journalists every single day. So just for background, can you tell me about uh, what your role is now at, at CU? Um, so right now, I am chair of the journalism department. I just started that in that role in last fall, but I've been on the faculty here since the fall of 2001. This is Elizabeth Skews, and CU stands for the University of Colorado at Boulder, my alma mater. What does a graduate today in journalism need from a skills standpoint that is different than maybe what they might have, say, seven or eight years ago, in your opinion? Um, you know, it, that, that's an interesting question. We had, uh, for a time, focused pretty heavily on some of the technology skills, and those are important. I'm not saying that they're not. Uh, students need an affinity for software and for learning new technology, but the fact is that stuff changes so quickly. Um, how journalism gets conveyed, the, the platforms that journalism gets conveyed on change so quickly that one of the things that we actually need to teach students is how to learn new technology and how to be comfortable with that kind of uncertainty because they're going to have to constantly learn new technologies. That's a really interesting point. So you're sort of saying we, we don't necessarily know where the industry will be in, in three or four no. years. So it's more important to just be adaptable for that. Exactly. On the other hand, the things that haven't changed are you need to know what a story is, Right. If you can't, um, you know, look outside and see um, a new building going up and you can't look at that and say, I wonder what's going in there, that's a news story. If you don't have that curiosity about the world and then the desire to figure it out, that's a skill we need to teach, right? Students need to know how to find story ideas. We also need to teach the basics. We need to teach the basics of law and ethics because so many people are going into journalism without that kind of training. And if you don't know how to treat people well, if you don't know how to be responsible in information gathering, uh, journalism loses its credibility. So some of that hasn't changed. Obviously, the industry continues to sort of shift. Layoffs seem like they've been in the headlines, certainly not everywhere, but in lots of places for a long time. I mean, you must get students who come to you and say, you know, is this the right profession to get into? Is this going to be around for me in five to eight years as a, as a real paying career? What do you, what do you tell yeah. folks like that? I think it will be. I don't think democracy – I'm very normative about this. I don't think democracy survives without journalism. Um, I see it even on the local level. There's been so many cutbacks, and there's fewer and fewer journalists just going to cover local government. And it means you've got these people who may be well-intentioned but have no watchdog, have nobody who's – paying attention to what they're doing and then reporting on it for the public. And that's an essential role that journalism is supposed to play. So I think journalism will continue to exist. 
Um, I think there may be fewer jobs in it. It's, um, but I also see, I mean, we've seen with the New York Times, for instance, that their online, their digital subscriptions are going up. Um, we've seen that at other news organizations. And I think perhaps the public is starting to see that there's a role that journalism plays, that the more that Donald Trump rails against the media, it puts a spotlight on the media. And, some, and we've got more people looking at that and saying, maybe I need to be paying attention to that again rather than just Googling something and trying to figure out, you know, going to the first source that's at the top of the page, again, that I don't have to pay for. And I think it's an interesting point because um, a lot is made of sort of, I'll just say broadly millennials, which extends probably even the generation after that, sort of being the root cause here that they don't want to pay for things that they only, you know, they don't want to read a newspaper. They only want to get their stuff from social. I guess as someone who interacts with those folks on a day-to-day, do you still see an interest from them, obviously, in, you know, journalism and information? Maybe it's a different, it's a little bit of different form than we're used to, or how would you sort of characterize the, the news habits of the students who are currently, you know, in college today? Um, so for the students who are in college, they're kind of, they're kind of learning the value of being informed, and we're talking more about that in classes, and we're trying to highlight the differences between something that they might get on a YouTube video versus, you know, a report from a major media outlet, right? What are the quality differences? And I think for the most part, they're starting to see that. I mean, they still like news that is a little more edgy. Um, they, so the idea of going to watch NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt doesn't appeal much to them. They still want news to be able to come on their mobile devices. They're not going to sit down and watch television. They're probably not going to spend a long time, you know, with a long read, although they're interested in writing those stories. I, the student I was just meeting with wants to do a long-form journalism piece on climate change um, because that matters to her. So I think they care about some issues. They may not care about them in the way that legacy media have traditionally reported them. But I'm seeing, I'm actually optimistic about the college students I'm seeing now who are more interested in social issues um, than maybe the students I saw three or four years ago who were more interested in sports and entertainment reporting. Do you think that the spotlight that's come on the news media and sort of politics in general has created a little more of that interest? I mean, is it fair to trace a line there that now all of a sudden this is so, the media as an entity is so front and center um, that it has changed the shift? Or what do you attribute, I guess, to that maybe renewed interest? Uh, no, I think there actually, I mean, I think there has been a bump in interest um, in what the media do because of the Trump administration's reaction against the media. Um, and when he talks about Fox and Friends or Sean Hannity being, you know, stellar examples of good journalism, and we talk in class about what good journalism is, they see some disconnect there, and I think that makes them want to evaluate, right? I, and I don't think we're trying to indoctrinate in colleges, but we are saying there's a difference between what Sean Hannity does and what um, – Chuck Todd does on Meet the Press, and let's look at those differences. The difference between punditry and and you know impartial journalism, right? I mean, again, you're not saying it's not a partisan right. difference; it's a it's a technical difference, essentially. It's exactly, and that's really how we talk about it. There's opinion, which sometimes is labeled as news. This is a basic media literacy skill, right? There's opinion, which sometimes is labeled as news, 
because it's on Fox News. Um, and we can look at Rachel Maddow and see a lot of the same thing from the other side that sometimes people think is news. And then there's stuff that really does try to present multiple sides of an argument. And that is the kind of stuff that is journalism, where it's a lot of Q&A rather than let me tell you what I think. We've asked this a couple times, so I want to just say it again straightforward. Is journalism dead? No, I think journalism is changing. And I think that period of change has been long. And I think it's still going to continue because the business model hasn't been quite worked out yet. But I think journalism as a profession is going to stick around. I think it's necessary. Um, If it doesn't stick around, I think it hurts Americans, and I think it hurts our democracy. And and so journalism will stick around. Um, The question becomes what it looks like. Publisher of the New York Times, I believe, has said that he doesn't think they'll have a print publication in a decade, and Mm -hmm. they may not. They may move online. You may have just the Sunday Times magazine that you can subscribe to and then the the online venue. But I think journalism as a profession, that information profession, the profession that gives people, to quote Kovach and Rosenstiel, the information they need to be free to be self-governing, I think that will stick around. We just don't know what delivery mechanisms it will come through. Well, if you made it this far, thanks again for joining us on this first episode of The Stream. Stay tuned on this feed for more stories about the state of our communications landscape. I think this is the part, Michael, we're supposed to ask people to rate and review us on iTunes. Are we? I don't think this is YouTube. Is that a thing? (laughs) I don't know. Well, write a comment, send us an email. Uh, Either way, we appreciate you taking the time and stay tuned for future conversations. Bye.